My name is Grant. I almost forgot to introduce myself and just launched into whatever I'm going to say. My name is Grant. Um, I've been a part of this church for a long time. Um, I want to really welcome any visitors. I see some unfamiliar faces. We're really glad you're here. Um, so yeah, I'm Grant. We'll get into it. So could you put up the first slide? So I'm going to start with a really obtuse little parable. <laughs> so imagine that there's a group of friends who are going on a road trip, and they go all the way, and they've gone to see the top of this mountain. And so they drive up to the base of the mountain, and then they get to a, a gondola, ski lift type thing um, that's going to take them to the top of the mountain. And they're all going to get on, the, but there's, you know, you can only fit like four people in there. So the first half gets in, they start going up, the other half is waiting. Um, the first half gets off at the top of the mountain, and then the gondola breaks down, and the second half of the group doesn't get to go up the gondola. And instead, they have to hike up the mountain, and it takes them like all day. So you've got some people who get up the mountain in like 10 minutes, and good for them, and then you've got some people who have to hike up the mountain, and it takes them all day, and it's really hard. Um, the question is, who got the better deal? So... I'm going to leave it there for now, and then we'll pick it up later, and it might make more sense <laughs> down the road. Um, so today we're going to be talking about the story of uh, Jesus and Thomas. It's in John uh, 20, 19 to 31 is what we're going to read from today. Um, you can put the next one up. Um, so this is shortly after the resurrection of Jesus, and he makes some appearances to his disciples, and this is one of those appearances. So I'll read it. When it was evening on the first day, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, called twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, If I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger into the mark of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So you can take the verses down. Um, so I just, first I'll just make some like, observations and ask some questions about what we just read. Um, the first observation, Thomas kind of gets a bad rap as being like the doubter, um, but he wasn't much more doubtful than all the other disciples, really, because <laughs> they all got to see what he wanted to see, but he just wasn't there. We don't know why he wasn't there. It might have had something to do with where he was spiritually, but apparently we don't need to know because John could have told us and he didn't. He just wasn't there. Um, right before, oh yeah, in Mark 
whenever Mark tells a story, true to form, it's like one sentence. And he says, all the disciples um, failed to believe on the testimony of others, and Jesus came and rebuked them all. So, like, it's, Thomas was uh, not really in a hugely different place than all the other disciples. Um, so I'm defending Thomas from the reputation he gets. <laughs> um, you'll notice uh, a little bit earlier in the passage, Jesus breathes out the Holy Spirit on his disciples. I think that's going to be a pretty key um, piece of the puzzle that we're going to look at today. He also says something about forgiveness that's a little bit puzzling, um, but I just want to let you know I'm not going to talk about that part. So if that's bothering you, you're going to have to deal with it and figure it out on your own. <laughs> I will say most people, I read some commentaries about it, and most people say this is Jesus like deputizing them to communicate God's means for forgiveness. But obviously they don't get to pick and choose because they have to forgive everyone, you know. So don't be too troubled by that, even though it sounds a little weird. Um, and then right at the end of this story is this puzzling statement from Jesus. He says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And commentaries tell me that uh, there is a clear comparative statement being made. Like there is something, uh, there's a special greater blessing to believing without seeing, which is really hard to understand. Like why would that, what is that blessing? It doesn't seem so blessed, you know. Um, and this concluding statement, um, these, these signs are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It sounds like the end of the book, but it's not. There's like a whole other chapter. So it's kind of a weird place to put your like, statement of purpose. So why is that right there? So that's some of the stuff that's going to lead into our sermon. Just want to get those questions swirling around in your head. Um, a few notes about what to expect. Um, this sermon is mostly addressed to people who are struggling deeply with their faith. Someone who's like maybe in something of a faith crisis or, you know, deconstruction, what everyone likes to talk about. Um, or maybe you're just feeling really not into it. It kind of doesn't feel real to you. Um, if you're in a place where you're like, man, if I'm being honest, I don't know where I'm going to land on all this Christianity stuff. This sermon is for you. <laughs> so maybe it'll help a little bit. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah. One other thing about before we get into it. So this sermon is very much like a, a shotgun spread. There's like a lot of little parts, and there might be a lot of them that aren't for you, but just try to listen enough to come away with the things that are for you. So there might be a lot of things that are for someone else or whatever, but the ones that hit you, try to listen for those. So there's going to be three parts. One, what's so blessed about believing without seeing. Two, what are our faith stumbling blocks? And then three, some practical suggestions. So we're going to jump into the first one. What's so blessed about believing without seeing? So imagine if Doctor Who jumped out of his TARDIS and said, I'm going to take you back to the first century. <laughs> if you don't know who that is, don't worry about it. Imagine <laughs> if you had some magical opportunity to travel through time and someone was like, I will take you to the room where Jesus appeared to the disciples. And you can talk to him and you can put your fingers in his wounds if you want. That would be like an amazing opportunity, right? Like that's the stuff of fantasy to actually... No, for sure, because you saw with your eyes, right? Well, what's confusing about that is that this same Jesus that we would all be so excited to see is the one telling us that our lot is better. Whatever it is about believing without seeing, it's something that's even better than getting to stand with him and talk with him. And the whole reason John wrote this book, according to what he tells us, is so that his, his readers can believe based on his testimony without having seen the risen Jesus in the flesh. And this is the same situation that Thomas was in, being asked to believe on the testimony of others without seeing with his eyes. Um, so John says, 
you know, John quotes Jesus saying, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then the next paragraph, he says, and you, reader, have not seen, and yet you're being asked to believe. And so you are highly blessed. So all I've done is intensify the question. What is so blessed about believing without seeing? (laughs) So you can go to the next slide. So we talked about that parable of the people. Some of them get to take the gondola, get whisked right up to the top of the mountain. Some other people have to take the long way and work really hard getting up the mountain. And we're going to zoom in on that group that has to spend their whole day on it. So they stubbornly refused to give up on climbing the mountain. They put on the best hiking gear they could gather. They studied the topography of the mountain, looked up maps of the trails, packed some water, they charted a course, and they worked hard at climbing. Their quads burned, they breathed heavily on the switchbacks, they fought off mosquitoes, they experienced the mountain intimately. They saw, felt, smelled, and heard the mountain's details. They inhabited its nooks and crannies. They heard the granite of the trails crunching under their shoes, they jumped over muddy puddles, they felt the vegetation brushing against their legs, They saw marmots and squirrels duck under rocks as they passed. They felt the sun powerfully beaming down on them, and they relished the shaded parts of the trail that gave them a little bit of shade. They saw trickles of water making their way down the mountain. They stopped and admired several views on the way up the mountain, and when they finally got to the summit, they appreciated it so much because they had busted their butts to get there. So who got the better deal? The people who worked through all of that or the people who sat on a gondola for 10 minutes and got lifted up? The people who hiked up the mountain bonded and formed a memory that they'll cherish for decades. The people who took the gondola just saw a nice view, and they probably won't think about it very much a year from now. So what looked like a misfortune, not being able to take the gondola, ended up being the better lot after all. And when Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed, I think he's saying something like, blessed are those who didn't give up and hiked up the mountain. And so unlike Jesus, I'll tell you what this parable means. (laughs) I think it's partly it's more blessed because it's intimate, personal, and hard-earned. But that, I think, leaves out the main thing about it. The main reason I think it's more blessed is we don't see the risen Jesus in the flesh, but we are indwelt by his spirit. That's why I think it's important to notice that Jesus says this right after breathing out the spirit on the disciples. Um, A bunch of verses about this real quick uh, from John. He says, um, oh, you can take that down, by the way. But he says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So if you love Jesus and follow him, he will manifest himself to you. So if you'd rather hop into TARDIS and go see him in the flesh, there's another way to know him, you know. Um, John 16, 7, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. In context, that helper is clearly the, the Holy Spirit that he breathed out. John fourteen twelve. whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. You know, Jesus is saying, I'm going to the Father, I'm sending the Holy Spirit, and you'll do even greater things than anything I've done. And that, that can be kind of confusing because it seems a little bit mundane, you know, the way that the Christian life goes. And so I don't think he's necessarily saying like flashier or more impossible, but greater. Because very often greater in the Bible is, you know, a mustard seed growing underground or someone in some place called Nazareth. It's not like the really big flashy stuff. Um, So you can go to the next slide. Um, I want to talk about 
biblical knowing. Uh, you've probably heard the phrase like, like knowing in the biblical sense, which is like a euphemism for having sex. Um, but why is knowing in the biblical sense a euphemism for having sex? <laughs> it's partly because in Hebrew, like the same word for like God knew Abraham is used for like Abraham knew Sarah and they bore a child. And so it's an intensely intimate, personal, experiential, practical, transformational kind of love. And sometimes we don't want that kind of knowing of God. I think as modern Western people, a lot of times we'd prefer a very uh, kind of transactional, like give me the numbers <laughs> way of knowing God, like just prove it to me. Um, but if that's what you want, and it's something that I wanted and that I was stuck on for a very long time, um, I think it's worth really thinking through that. Like what could happen to you that would actually prove that to you in a way that you would believe for more than maybe five, ten years? And so then is God supposed to come and show you a blast of light every ten years? And then is any of that going to make you like more righteous or a better person, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. and I, if that's what you want, I would suggest thinking seriously about how many miracles occur in the Bible that don't engender like faith or loyalty from God's people. <laughs> Like Israel's following around a miraculous cloud of fire and cloud and stuff and like doubting him and moaning about him at the same time. Um, so don't resent your faith journey and waste your time wishing you had someone else's. Embark on yours. Again, <laughs> oh, I guess I forgot to, I forgot to quote it, but um, there's a part where the disciples say in John, um, what is the work that God wants us to do? And Jesus says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And so it does take work. Um, yeah, I guess you've probably read that, whatever. So, so what's so special about believing without seeing? It's intimate, personal, and hard-earned, and it's through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so what's more blessed, to stand next to Jesus and get, it, get to talk to him, or to be indwelt by his very mind and spirit, and to have the power to be transformed by him so that you can work alongside him to renew the world? And you might feel like your experience of the Holy Spirit isn't nearly so profound. <laughs> um, you can go two ways with that. You can say, that, man, it doesn't work for me. I don't get it. This whole Christian life thing doesn't seem to work for me. <laughs> or you could say, you know, is there something about the way that I've been engaging with this that, could, that I could do better? You could press deeper into the Holy Spirit. And what stops us from experiencing him that way? And that's what this following section is about. So section two. Removing our faith stumbling blocks, or at least loosening them. <laughs> um, so I'm going to rattle off five things real quick. Again, some of them are for you, some of them aren't. One of the biggest ones that came to my mind as I was praying through this sermon is weaponized distraction. <laughs> um, you know, it's just what everyone says all the time. We're in our phones, we're so distracted. It's true, though, and I think that that can be uh, used against our faith. I think a lot of times we find ourselves like someone who's going on a road trip but hasn't thought about where they're going. So they're just on highways, they're zooming around, they're on the trip, but they haven't thought about where they're going. And they're going to end up somewhere, right? So it would be wise to think ahead about where you're going. Later in your life, perhaps in the age to come, um, don't be just looking out the window not worrying about where you're headed in your life, you know? Um, yeah, again, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And there's work in it, and that's going to take some attention and focus and effort. And I'm reminded of what uh, Drew preached a while ago, um, the Mary and Martha thing. Jesus said, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are necessary, indeed only one. 
to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him. So have you really considered taking him up on that? That doing that just might reshape your heart and your whole experience of the world. So let's not get got by weaponized distraction. <laughs> so the second one is faith as fashion. Um, this is a quote from a ridiculous article, but the guy said, uh, we take as given the individual's right not merely to obey or defy the moral law, but to choose which moral standards to adopt and which values to uphold, which fashion of piety to wear, and with what accessories. <laughs> um, so it's kind of like whenever we're approaching faith or morality, we're just saying, like, what belief system or morals will express my unique inner personality to the world and treating it as, like, a scarf that we're just going to wear or something like that. And whenever we do have so many different ideas coming at us in this pluralistic culture, I get where that comes from, but I think it is an immature approach to faith. And we would do well to choose what we're going to believe and do based on our honest assessment of what's real, what's actual, what's true, in light of the big picture. Um, third one, third faith stumbling block, don't let your compassion for lost sheep turn you into one. <laughs> don't let your compassion for lost sheep turn you into one. And so some of us are rightly concerned with a lot of the objections from unbelievers, especially from people who have been uh, harmed by the church or who have left the church because of some kind of abuse, that kind of thing. Um, and that is a legitimate concern, and it could be a strength of our church, but I have a hard time calling it a strength of our church because of how it plays out. And what I mean is, it can lead some of us to constantly be thinking about um, how such people would respond to anything. And you can kind of develop this character in your mind, and your heart, that's constantly, that you're constantly consulting about faith questions. Like, well, what would that kind of person think about this? Kind of like when you invite someone over for dinner, and then you view the whole experience through their eyes. You're like, ooh, do they know that's an inside joke? Are they comfortable? Like, you're kind of worrying about that. I think some of us carry around this, like, pocket non-believer in our mind that we're always trying to please and placate. Um, and that can lead to this thing where it's like, even if someone is like really emotionally immature, selfish, ignorant, arrogant, if someone like that would be hurt by something I believe or a conviction that I have, <clears throat> or a conviction that I have, then I don't want to believe that because I don't want to be one of those kind of Christians that pushes people away. And I don't want to downplay the uh, importance of thinking carefully and being very considerate of where people are at. I'm not, I'm not saying the church hasn't done anything awful. I'm not saying any of that, you know. But I am saying don't let that voice in your head be your master. Don't abdicate your decision responsibility to it. Like you have to make your decision on how you're going to respond to Jesus. And it doesn't have to please everyone. And we're promised that it won't. And so compassion is a good thing, but it's not a good king. If you make it your king, it will tyrannize you. And I'm not, I am just picking on compassion because I think that's kind of our issue. Um, but this isn't just true of compassion. If I was at another church, I could talk about pleasure, Sabbath, freedom, purity. Any of these things are good, but they'll make a tyrannical king. Um, and I think this may be one of the ways that the you know, evil spiritual forces whisper lies to us and undermine our faith. I think that uh, our compassion can kind of be weaponized against us. And I, I don't know. That's kind of a weird claim, and I'm not saying that I have the eyes to see the spiritual realm, but I am saying that I'm sensing that, and we can discern it together as a body that has the mind of Christ. 
Um, so yeah, that sounds kind of heavy, I feel, but I hope that it strikes you as a breath of fresh air and new freedom if you're constantly having to placate this idea that you have in your mind of where people are at in the world. Um, I hope that you can feel like that is a, a breath of fresh air, like I don't have to please everyone. Um, I can make my own decision and I can take that little idol in my mind and take it out of my pocket and throw it away. <laughs> Third one. Third face stumbling block. Deism is for scaredy cats. <laughs> if you don't know that word, deism, D-E-I-S-M, it's like a philosophical term for the belief that God um, created the world initially as this like fine-tuned system, and then he just set it in motion and has left it, and he's basically not here anymore. Um, so he, God doesn't do miracles, he doesn't answer prayers, he doesn't interact with us in any real way. And for all practical purposes, he doesn't exist. He just kind of got things started and he's not here anymore. And I'm saying that worldview is for scaredy cats. <laughs> um, what I mean is we should approach God with a possibility that he could answer. And it can be scary to do that because you don't know what would happen if you ask until you ask. And maybe you won't like the answer you get, or you won't like that you don't get an answer when you want it. Um, for all you know, you won't get an answer at all. And that's just scary. But um, if the deism thing isn't working for you, why not give Christianity a try? <laughs> um, yeah. And so Philippians 4, 5 through 7 says, The Lord is near. He's not just a clockmaker that left it all alone. He's near. So don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then I think this is the last one. Yeah, yeah. So the last faith stumbling block, and this is like mine that I've stuck on for years, <laughs> is understanding comes through obedience, not analysis. Our church has gotten some pushback lately for our tendency to over-intellectualize things. And I'm very much one of those intellectualizers if I'm not really careful. <laughs> I'm the kind of person that wants to kind of start with my head and figure things out in an, in an intellectual way and then go from there. Um, and that's what I tried to do. In late high school and college, I really struggled with the idea of faith. I guess the technical term for it is like the hiddenness of God. Like why is God not just more obvious to us, you know? Or at least there's some of us who feel like he's not, which is a whole thing. But... Uh, yeah, it was, I was at winter camp in 2009, and someone was like, hey, you should talk to Brad Davis. And so we, like, about the doubts that I was struggling with. And Brad pointed out to me John 7, 17, when Jesus said, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. So I didn't get to know God in an abstract, scientific way, devoid of relationship and obedience. I would have liked to, and I really tried to, but I just wasn't smart enough, and I had to prove that to myself by failing before I was willing to try to know him any other way. <laughs> it was kind of crazy. I was this 19-year-old kid trying to deal with my existential angst, and I was like, well, I guess my mind is the solution. So I'm going <laughs> to... I tried to build this argument that could convince me permanently, and so I was like, well, if I'm going to do that, it's got to be really well-founded. So I like went to the library and checked out this book that was like Josephus, one of the historians of the time, and it's like, in retrospect, it's pretty comical to, me, to think that 19-year-old Grant was going to like put the nail in questions that philosophers have been dating, debating about for millennia. But <laughs> I, had to, I just had to fall on my face before I was willing to hear anything else. And people tried to tell me, like, I don't think that's going to work, man. <laughs> but I had to fall. Um, so you can put up the next slide. 
This slide is a little bit of a trip. Um, so, you know, we've got this guy. He's reading from the book of nihilism, and he's like, oh, this makes so much sense. You know, nihilism, that there's no meaning in life or whatever. Um, but there's light shining down on him that could illuminate him, but he doesn't see it because this umbrella of his lifestyle is clouding his mind. And it's alcohol, weed, porn. And that's, it seems like you should be able to do whatever you want with alcohol, weed, porn, but then be able to still think just fine, right? Um, but then on the other end of the intellectual spectrum, my boy George MacDonald <laughs> says, none but he who does right can think right. You cannot know Christ to be right until you do as he does, as he tells you to do. And so the intellect is not on a safe little island protected from the fall. It's as fallen and gullible as any other part of you. It would be just like saying, I'm going to let my emotions be my guide or something like that. And that's the kind of thing that someone, that people said to me when I was 19 and I just wasn't ready to hear it. <laughs> so the intellect does not and cannot operate independently of the rest of you, especially from the way that you live your life. So you can relieve them of looking at that. Thank you, you already have. Okay. Um, so section three, practical suggestions. How do we move forward from here? Um, especially if you feel like you've kind of hit a rut in your faith, in your relationship with God. Um, maybe you feel like you need kind of a reset or a new way of looking at things. I have three suggestions. First one, carve out a modest amount of time for prayer. <laughs> you know, Jesus said, go into your inner room and pray in secret, and your Father in heaven will reward you. And you just might find him in there. And so this could be really simple. It could be you could just say to your roommate or your spouse or whatever, like, I'm going to go to the spare room or into the closet for 30 minutes on Thursday nights for the next month and just carve that out if that's, if that's something you need to do, you know? Um, and I guess, okay, you're in there. What do you do? So you can bring up the next slide. These are all the scriptures that I either did or wanted to include in this sermon. <laughs> and they're all related to this idea of faith. So this is your chance to just, like, snap a picture if you want to read it later. Um, Yeah, and I guess I'll leave that up. I'm kind of moving on, but I'll leave that up so you can take a picture if you want. But uh, there's a specific, I guess, practice for like resetting your relationship with God. I was talking with Sirach a while ago, Sirach Asfa, our favorite guest speaker to bring up here. Um, and he was saying, you know, when God's people come before him humbly and lay down their idols, he moves in powerful ways. And talking to him, I guess, I don't know how long ago that was, I don't remember anything, but... Uh, it re rekindled a desire and a hope to like enter into like an intimate kind of prayer life with God. Um, and so here's a very simple thing you could do if you don't know where to start. You could get your journal out and make a bullet point list of everything that you idolize or that you're at risk of idolizing, the things that you really want and that you desire to reach out and take based on your own wisdom and strength without waiting for or trusting God. So you've got your list, like here's all the things. It's, I don't know, I don't want to give too many examples, but, um, so you've got your list, you go in there, and then you just go down the list, and for each one, you just tell God you're relinquishing control of it, and trusting him to provide for you in that area, and then, uh, and then ask him to help you do that, and if you, if you think it would help you, you could even get, like, a little rock or something, and, like, clinch it tightly, like, this is this thing I'm holding on to, but I'm relinquishing my control of it and I'm giving it to you and I put the rock out of your hand, you know? Um, so you could just do that, you know, maybe five, ten times, however many idols you can think of that you have, just set them down, you know? So that's carve out a modest 
amount of time for prayer. That's my first suggestion. Second suggestion, dive into the Psalms. No matter which stumbling blocks are yours, most of us would really benefit from uh, interaction with the Holy Spirit, like for him to really speak to us in a new way. And the Psalms show us how to enter into that like subjective, personal kind of prayer. And they're for and by people knowing God in the biblical sense, you know? And so no matter what heights or depths your life brings you, the Psalms have already mapped out the territory and they're there as a guide for how to pray through it faithfully. And they're an acquired taste for the most part. If you're looking for some like beautiful, sublime experience reading the Psalms, they're not going to let you have it. <laughs> There's always like a pebble in your shoe when you're reading the Psalms. There's this like beautiful thing about the lofty thoughts about God and then it's like, these pe- I hate these people that are trying to kill me, destroy them. And you're like, well, that really took me out of my like bliss that I was trying to have, you know? Um, but the Psalms are just, they don't ask you to float up to the clouds and have this divine experience. If you need to plant your feet firmly in the ground and shake your fist at the sky, the Psalms are mostly that. Like two thirds of them are laments, you know? Um, but yeah, they'll smack you around and kind of surprise you with how unpretentious they are. (laughs) And there's a lot of parts where it's like, I don't think that I should pray anything like that. Maybe that's not for me right now. Um, but at least that means they're not going to be out of reach for you, you know? <laughs> they're not going to be for, like, the really righteous people. Um, I feel a little self-conscious because I talk about it so much, but one thing that has really helped me to engage with the Psalms is the, like, Every Psalm project. Um, so you can just Google the words Every Psalm, you'll find it, and they just set them to music. And it might, I was talking to my mom about it, and she was like, I just, I felt so bad, but I just didn't like it. I just felt annoyed by the music. And I was like, look, I'm with you. I'm annoyed by almost all the Christian music I encounter, and this is the one thing that like, works for me. Um, so I'm not judging her at all. But, um, and it might not be for you. So like, if you don't enjoy it, it doesn't do anything for you. you know, it's just a suggestion. And if you, get, if you try to engage with the Psalms and really struggle, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Reflections on the Psalms that is really a great resource. There's a lot of good stuff in there. So that's my second suggestion. Dive into the Psalms. Third suggestion. Ask, seek, knock, and use your words. So going back to the Thomas story, notice how Jesus accommodates every last one of Thomas's requests and needs. Thomas said, I need to see the nail holes in his hands, I need to put my fingers where the, holes were, where the nails were, and I need to touch his side. And Jesus came back again and did every one of those things. He said, see the nail holes in my hands, put your fingers in the holes, and touch my side. He And all we know about this second appearance in the story is that he came back for Thomas. And so doesn't that convey a surprising amount of gentleness, grace, and patience on Jesus' part? He was like, yeah, it's not the best thing, but you've been really clear about what it's going to take for you, and I'm going to kind of accommodate that, you know? And uh, yeah, Jude one twenty two says, You must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. It's the, the one verse out of Jude that doesn't make my head spin. <laughs> it's a really weird little book. Um, but Jesus said, uh, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, we were just singing about it, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And so this idea of a, a mustard seed of faith, tiny little amount of faith is all it takes. And Thomas, had, he's not an exemplar of great faith, but he is an exemplar of having a mustard seed of faith. Um, And I think we're invited, in a way, to follow the example of Thomas, if necessary, if your faith is that small. 
So don't think you're like a spiritual giant by asking God to like <laughs> give you uh, what you need for your faith. It's, it's a humble thing. Like, I wish I wasn't as spiritually blind as I am, but I am, you know? And I'm going to ask for what I need. Um, about 2018, one of my friends said to me, I was talking to him about all the things I struggled with about faith. And he was like, Grant, I think if you just pray and muster all the sincerity you can and say to God, like, I want to know you more. I want more. He said, I think God will hear that and honor that prayer. And then the whole, like, ask, seek, knock thing in Matthew 7, Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which one of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Or in Luke it says, how much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And, you know, my, I was encouraged to just pray like, God, I want to know more. I want more in our relationship. And then this whole ask, seek, knock thing got mixed in. And I think that ask, seek, knock thing, in a way, is an invitation to be specific. Because I spent years just saying like, God, you made the world, you're smart enough to address my vague dissatisfaction with the way that things are and the way that our relationship is. So would you just fix it? And that was like the extent of how specific I was being. So I was basically being like a baby, just going, wah, wah. And then the parents are like, what do you need? Is it, do you need a bottle? Do you, like, what is, what's going on? And I think that after a while, the Holy Spirit kind of says to me, use your words. Like, look me in the eye and articulate what you need and want as best you can, and we'll go from there. But I want you to be involved in this process of working on our relationship and helping you move forward with your faith. And so I suggest making like specific, personalized, humble requests for things that would strengthen your faith. And don't just groan vaguely at God. Um, so I did that in 2019. I wrote some things in my journal. For the sake of time, I won't go all into it. But a couple examples. One of them... I had five things. One of them was, I want to sense your presence dwelling in me as I go about my days so that being alone would come to mean something very different to me. I want to experience your spirit as a source of peace, joy, love, and self-control that empowers me to do your will and live life well. I want to hunger for scripture and find it nourishing. And so you can see in that, I was finally letting go of like, I want it proven to me so that I'll know what to do. <laughs> um, and saying, whether I like it or not, I can't send my intellect out as a scout to figure out what life is about and then start living my life. I'm going to have to choose my adventure, you know. <laughs> um, so it's important to ask in Jesus' name. Um, you know, Jesus in the wilderness, the devil said to him, you know, go up on the temple and dive off and then he'll send his angels down to save you, you know. And Jesus said, don't put God to the test. So on the one hand, we've got ask, seek, knock. On the other hand, we've got don't put God to the test. And I think the difference between those two things is if it's in Jesus' name. So again, anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. And you'll notice that all the requests I laid out assume a life that's oriented around doing God's will. It's not like, give me a, the hottest girlfriend and a red sports car and like all that, whatever I come up with, you know? It's like... Um, I was married at the time anyway, so that wouldn't have been my request. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's things that are oriented around doing God's will. 
how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Not just anything they ask for, you know? So good things, as best you can discern it. Um, yeah, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Um, I think I have a slide for this. Oh, no, I don't. I took it out. Never mind. Um, yeah, there's, again, my boy George McDonald coming in with dense quotes. He said, There is a communion with God that asks for nothing, yet asks for everything. He who seeks the Father more than anything the Father can give is likely to have what he asks, for he is not likely to ask amiss. So this is, the idea is to get in step with what God wants for you and ask for the things that he wants to give you. Not just on your own terms, whatever you want, you know? So if you truly in your heart of hearts want communion with God more than any of the stuff God can, God can give you, you'll tend to ask for the things he wants to give you and he'll give them to you. And you, know, you might remember the story of the centurion who came to Jesus and said, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said that was the greatest faith he'd seen in all of Israel. So take on that guy's humility. Say, like, this isn't a list of demands. <laughs> this is, like, the minimum necessary humble request, recognizing that you're asking for a concession to how small your faith is. And if you write this stuff down, it doesn't have to be written in stone. You can get advice about it and refine it. Um, I look back on some of what I wrote, and I'm like, yeah, I think what I had in my head there maybe wasn't quite right. <laughs> like, maybe I needed to expand my time scale, because God often works on the scale of generations and peoples, you know, yeah. not just my little life. So maybe some of the answers to that will happen for my children or something like that, you know? Um, so, yeah, that's it. So conclusion. <laughs> you can put up the conclusion slide now. Um, again, with this idea of, like, the hiddenness of God, like, why are you just not more obvious to, uh, to us, or at least to me? I was talking to Kevin Tidlachka, who was a part of this church for a while. He was my, uh, like, Corfa in 2010. And with wisdom beyond the average 20-year-old, <laughs> we were sitting outside this building at UTD in the grass, and he was like, Grant, what you want is if God was here. Like, if that guy walking by was Jesus and you can go and talk to him, that's what you want, right? And I was like, yes, that's what I want. Like, where is he? <laughs> and Kevin said, like, God isn't happy with the way the world is right now either. He's working on fixing it, and he's inviting you to participate in that work. And then later that year when I was at Sikkim, Revelation 21:23 just jumped off the page at me. It's um it's on one of these over there. Yeah, yeah, the rightmost. Um it says the city, you know, the holy city where we're all going to live in the age to come, the new Jerusalem. That city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the lamb is its lamp. And something about that was like, okay, yeah, God is not happy with the status quo either. <laughs> he's working on fixing it, and he's inviting us to be a part of it. Um, Micah 3, 3 through 4 says, The Lord will judge between peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. So taking the instruments of war and turning them into things that cultivate life. And there won't be any more war. Everyone will sit under their own vine and fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. Isaiah 11 says, The wolf will lie with the lamb. All these things that would normally prey on each other and kill each other, you know. The wolf will lie with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, 
and the young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. This one's shocking. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. So this is what our faith is pointing toward. These are the as-yet-unseen things that our hope is in. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll be done. So, Father, in this sermon, I have gotten involved in things that are too wondrous for me, <laughs> and I'm sure that I haven't done it perfectly. Just ask for your mercy on that, and if there's anything in here that's misleading, I um, ask that you would bring that to light so that we can correct it and move forward. And I ask that this would not erect any barriers to faith, uh, but that this would remove barriers to faith. Your sheep know your voice. Teach us to recognize your still, small voice in us. Help us to perceive how you are leading us deeper into faith. And thank you that you don't require a great amount of faith from us, just a non-zero amount. Even a speck or a mustard seed can save us and work wonders. And help us to have the humility and the courage to offer that to you. We believe, help our unbelief. Help us to believe that you, Jesus, are the Messiah, the Son of God, so that by believing we may have life in your name. Amen. Thank you, Grant. Okay, everyone, we have a couple of announcements for you. So if you have a little bit of mental energy left after that, like, deep George McDonald quoted sermon, um, then please use that and don't miss these things. The first is the obvious. College students are going to be here so soon. School starting back very soon. So get in that mode where you want to meet people that you do not know, and that applies not just to college students, but anyone that you see that you don't know. So start getting in that mindset because they're coming either way, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. The next thing is, McGinty, you want to come up and talk about worship? The, you. Sweet. Um, hey, everybody. I'm back up here to talk about worship. Um, I'm not going to make you repeat uh, words that I say or anything like that. Um, but DentonNorthChurch.com slash worship sign up. Today is the last day. If you do not sign up by like, let's say 3 p.m. If you don't sign up uh, by 3 p.m. today, then you're done. We can't use you. I don't care. Um, but uh, so, yes, the slash worship sign up. Go there. Um we are, we're, we're, I looked at everybody who signed up already. We're pretty good on vocals. We're pretty good on guitar and even bass guitar, to be honest. What we really do have a need for is percussion and keys. Um, so we do have some people that signed up there. But even if you're like, I don't want to play like on a regular rotation or anything like that, but I'm pretty dang good at the percussion, go ahead and still sign up. And we can like, and you can indicate that in the sign up. And we can just have you uh, as like a spare, you know, substitute, uh, things like that. So um, please sign up. We definitely would love to have you in some sort of capacity there. Um, so feel free to put your availability in that as well. He's being a little bit oh, man, this one's off too. He's being a little bit nice, but they do need percussionists and keys. So maybe you're like, I'm not available all the time. Or maybe it's like you just are, need to be challenged to do that. And this is us saying... Hey, we need you. So, 
maybe make some room in your schedule. Anyway, um, Sterling, will you come share about the Rough Riders event so that I don't have to like condone a sporting gathering? What's up, guys? I know we all love sports so much, yeah. but I thought uh, it'd be fun to go to a Rough Riders game. I did it last summer, and it was a lot of fun. We're going to occupy the lawn seating. I think it's $10, $11 for lawn seating, $10 for parking. Um, I invited the Plano Church so we can come together as two church families, get to know each other. I think it's a fun way to also invite neighbors, coworkers, if you need an excuse to do something fun with them. And, uh, yeah. That's it. I hope you y'all can come. We are, if that's confusing to you, we're part of a family of churches, and Plano Church is the newest, the youngest church in our family of churches. So if you haven't had a chance to interact with that church very much, or you know some friends who started going there to help plant it, this is a great chance to get to bump elbows with them and hang out and have fellowship together, even if it is a sporting event, you know? Um, the next thing is the men's breakfast, which is coming up this Saturday. Um, Please don't miss it. Anyone's welcome. If you're a dude and you like breakfast, just please come, uh, students and adults alike. We're going to hang out, hear a short devotional from one of our guys, and then we're just going to eat, break bread together, and hang out, and it's going to be fun. I'll be at Ryan's house. Details behind me here. Yeah. What would you say? <laughs> I guess if you say Ryan's house, there's like a billion Ryans. It's Ryan Plache's house. So that's a great... <laughs> that's a great way to make sure everyone ends up at a different house. It's just to say Ryan's house. Anyway... Um, then the next thing is giving. You can give online at, on our website at dentonnorthchurch.com slash donate. You can also give on Venmo at Denton North Church. And then the last thing is going to require people to pull their phones out and stop laughing if they're laughing, which is to, just kidding, uh, is to go to we, our fall small groups are starting very soon here in September on the second week of September. So we need you to sign up. This is one of the most important ways to be involved in our community. If you're not in focus and you're in sort of the adult ministry, whatever word you want to use to describe that, this is a really important part of, of our church community. We're kind of arrogant enough to think that relationships are an important part of life and friendships and stuff like that. Uh, we're, just so, we're just so full of ourselves that we think that we know what we're talking about because it's described in the Bible. But that is one of our goals for small groups is to get to know each other well, and that's why we change the small groups every year, get to know different aspects of our community, and to learn to follow Jesus together and learn from each other. So please sign up behind me right now. Go right now on your phone. We're going to spend about the next four minutes where I just stand up here while you go fill out the, the form really quickly because we want to get that ball rolling quickly and figure out what nights the small groups are available and get you placed in your small group so you know who's who, where to go, and all of that stuff. So DentonNorthChurch.com slash small groups and, um, and fill that out right now, please. Let me think. Does anyone have a question about small groups that I could answer while people are filling things out? Shayla first, yes. Yes. Yeah. That's what I was saying at the beginning. If you're not in focus if, and you're in our like adult quote-unquote ministry, this is for you, and this is an essential part of being part of our community. We don't think that just ever getting together as a large group on Sundays accomplishes everything and helps us grow uh, as disciples um, following Jesus. Esdras, what was your question?
Okay, so the URL is also there, right? So, Sterling's question. That's a great question. So, what our small groups do is most weeks we discuss something together about following Jesus, but we also weave in nights that are just for hanging out, for eating food together, for going and doing something fun together. There's small groups who have, like, gone bowling once a month together, or they just hang out at, at a house and play. What's that game? I can't remember. Jackbox. What's the killer queen? Queen killer one? Yeah. Our small group loved that one, and they taught me how to play it, and they were patient with me about it. Um, and or playing board games together. But we, we mix a lot of relational time um, with learning the Bible together, learning how to follow Jesus better together. So that's a great question, Sterling. Nice. Is anybody still filling out their form that um, is filling out their form. Don, nice. I'm going to say a short prayer for us to give Don just a few more seconds. If you didn't quite finish this or you couldn't take a picture of the QR code or something like that, whatever the deal was, please do this as soon as possible. The sooner we get everyone signed up, the sooner we can make decisions and get things scheduled and all that stuff. You get it. Okay. Lord, thank you so much for this chance to hear the, just the work you've been doing in Grant's heart over the past several years. And help each of us in our journeys of faith and the stumbling blocks that we may have in front of us uh, just to seek you and be willing to test, to, to test what obedience is like, uh, what it's like to really follow you. And I just pray that you would really, for any of us who do that and make that decision today, that you would really show the fruit of that, what it's like to see, to put our money where our mouth is, to put your commands to the test and see if they don't lead to a better way of life in a way that is more fulfilling and fruitful and helps us feel closer to you and gives us purpose. Um, Lord, you're so good to us. Thanks for the chance to come and just worship you and learn about you. And uh, thanks for just being so kind to our community. In your name I pray, amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.